Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. Special welcome if you're new or if this is your first time with us. Uh, we're always so glad to have you here worshiping with us. My name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are wrapping up our series in the wisdom literature and some extras on how to apply wisdom. So if you've been with us from the beginning of this series, or if you haven't, we started out in Proverbs, and then we talked a little bit through Ecclesiastes and Job and Song of Songs, and then last week we got to hear from Angela about how we can apply wisdom to the topic of generosity. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about how to apply wisdom to the topic of anxiety. I think anxiety is something that we all experience in one way or another at different times in our life, and so we think it's an important topic for us to talk about as a church as well. So I know that when I say anxiety, some of you, that means like a really deep personal struggle that is like a daily battle, it's something that's incredibly difficult, and it's something that really, really impacts your life every single day on a daily basis. And others of you might not ever say, like, oh, no, I don't, I don't experience anxiety. You might say things like, yeah, I'm just stressed, or I'm overwhelmed, or I think sometimes we even just say, I'm just really busy, because we don't necessarily identify that some of those feelings might actually be part of anxious feelings. So we're going to talk about that today. Wherever you're at, wherever, whichever side of the spectrum you fall on in, in kind of those ideas of how you experience anxiety, We're going to talk a little bit about some ways uh, that the Bible calls us to deal with fear, and then we're going to get really practical and talk about how to apply wisdom to the idea of experiencing fear or experience anxiety. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump right in. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning you would calm our anxious minds and hearts, that you would give us peace, uh, and that we would be able to experience you this morning that we would hear from your word, that we would uh, hear from you and see from you how we can apply wisdom to anxiety, fear, stress, overwhelm, all of those things that come and go in our lives. So please, Lord, be with us this morning uh, as we look into your word and as we talk about anxiety. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so did you know that do not fear, or some version of that, whether it's fear not or something like that, is actually the most common command that's given throughout all of Scripture. It's said very frequently in some form as you turn the pages and go from the very beginning in the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. Some people even say that it's uh, referenced 365 times, one time for every day of the year. I did not count, so I'm sorry, I cannot tell you if that is true or not, but I do know that it is there frequently. You will, if you start to pay attention, you will see it pop up over and over in the pages of Scripture. And if, again, as we kind of wrap up this wisdom series, I want to tie it back in the very beginning when we started in Proverbs. We talked specifically about how wisdom comes from fear of the Lord, And so if we're talking today about not fearing, being told not to fear, being told uh, that that's something we shouldn't do, how does that connect to this idea of fear of the Lord where we find wisdom? So I think there are slightly different types of fear, right? We talked in Proverbs about how fear of the Lord is about awe of God and reverence for him and worship for him. But I do think that the idea of not fearing and fearing the Lord are still connected, 
So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how anxiety connects to this idea of fear of the Lord. And we're going to look in Scripture at a place, I thought, instead of looking at a place where it just tells us, hey, don't fear, because if you struggle with anxiety in any way, or even if you're just, I think this is just a normal tendency, when someone tells you, don't be afraid, the first thing that you have is like, oh no, what do I need to be afraid of? Why are they telling me that I shouldn't be afraid? This is, this is scary. So I thought instead of going to a place where it says that, I would go to a place where it actually, someone in scripture is saying, I will not fear. I am not afraid. So we're going to look at Psalm 23 this morning. And Psalm 23 is one of those really popular uh, places of scripture. You might even still hear this if you're, you know, not used to being in church settings. You might, some of it might sound familiar. I feel like it gets repeated um, in a lot of places. And it's special to me personally because it is the first piece of scripture that I memorized. And I did it because I was in third grade Sunday school and our teachers offered us a giant candy bar if we could memorize Psalm 23. Honestly, it was like one of those Hershey bars that's like as big as your head, especially if you're a third grader. Uh, And so it was very exciting and I went to work of memorizing Psalm 23. And I'm so glad that I did because it's something that has really stuck with me uh, and even something that I've recently decided to recommit to my memory and go back and re-memorize it. So let's look at the first four verses. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the psalmist says, I will fear no evil. But I want to look at what leads up to that to help us understand how he would get to a place where he could say something like that. So right away, we see in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. There's something personal here. So King David is the one who is thought to have written this psalm. And if you haven't heard of him, he's a really important guy in the Old Testament. He's like one of the big players, one of the big characters that we talk about. And he was actually often referred to as the shepherd king. So he was king of Israel for a time. And he was referred to as the shepherd king. So someone that was referred to as a shepherd who shepherded people in his job as a king, and actually before he became king, shepherded actual sheep, (laughs) says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not just a shepherd, or he's not the world's shepherd, or everybody's shepherd, but he's my shepherd, personally. There's a personal relationship that David is drawing on when he talks about this in the psalm. And not only is it just a relationship, But it's a relationship where David felt like he was one of the sheep. He needed somebody to guide him, to be his shepherd, to be the person who's taking care of him. And again, as someone who was a shepherd, who actually knew what that was like, and then shepherded many people, for him to say, yes, I am a shepherd, but I also need a shepherd. I need somebody to guide me is pretty impressive. And uh, Joel showed me something this week that kind of made me laugh, and I felt like fit in with this idea of needing a shepherd. And 
he called it dog versus cat theology. I don't know. It's like a meme or something that's on the internet. So if you've ever seen this, um, it goes a little bit like this. It says, dogs think, you feed me, you shelter me, you pet me, you love me, you must be God. Right? And I have a dog, so I can definitely relate to this. I definitely think she thinks that way sometimes. Um, and for, while we have that with dogs, on the other hand, cats say, you feed me, you shelter me, you pet me and love me, I must be God. Right? And so I think sheep are a little bit more like dogs than cats, right? They recognize, or even if they, they personally don't recognize, David is saying, I am putting myself in that place where I recognize I need somebody to shelter me, to take care of me, to love me, and that person is God. Shepherds take care of their sheep, and sheep need them in order to survive. And that's how David is, and that's how we're called to be. So going on in the second half of verse 1, David says, I shall not want, and this sounds a little outdated. I memorized the ESV version, uh, but I actually really like the NIV in this. It's just another translation of scripture. Um, In this verse, it says, in the NIV, it says, I lack nothing. All of my needs are met. I don't need anything more than what the shepherd has already given me. I am satisfied with what he provides. And if you've ever experienced anxiety, that is not the mindset of anxiety, right? Anxiety makes us feel like we are lacking something, whether it's control over the present, whether it's uh, knowing what's going to happen in the future. It gives us fear that we don't have what we need or we're not going to have what we need. So when you're struggling with anxiety, whether it's something that's like a very deep struggle or whether it's just worry or stress, you might think, how in the world can someone get to a place of saying, I lack nothing? And I was reading this week, um, there's a book that an actual shepherd, someone who was a shepherd, wrote called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And his name is Philip Keller. And he actually grew up in East Africa and was around people who were actually like herding animals and shepherding animals in the same way that the traditions would have been in the ancient Near East when David was writing. So he kind of draws on some of his experiences as he looks at Psalm 23 and thinks about how someone could say something like, I lack nothing. And he says that sheep do not lie down easily and will not lie down unless four conditions are met says, because they are timid, they will not lie down if they are afraid. Because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. And finally, if sheep are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. Rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. So he identifies that these sheep, the only way that they actually lie down in green pastures, as David is saying in the psalm, is if the shepherd takes care of all of these things that can lead them to fear or anxiety or any kind of restlessness. And I think sometimes we treat those things, uh, we treat fearing not or not being afraid as something that we do. 
right? It's something that we take control of, we work through, we figure out, okay, I gotta figure out how to deal with all of these problems so that I can rest and that I can not be anxious. But we are like the sheep. And it's not the sheep who deal with the fears, but it's actually the shepherd. So the Lord is our shepherd and he takes care of our fears. And in fact, he already has. When we look to Jesus and look to what he has done for us, we realize that we don't need to fear. Verse 4 of the psalm says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And we can walk through the shadow of death because Jesus has actually walked through it already himself. And he didn't walk just through the shadow of death or the valley that felt like death. He walked through actual death for us on our behalf. He walked the road of crucifixion, a horrible death. He experienced incredible pain. People publicly mocked him. All of his friends deserted him. All the things that would make us incredibly anxious to think about. He walked through all of those things for us. So when the psalmist says, I will fear no evil because you are with me, that's something we can say too. Because Jesus has walked through that valley. Anytime we experience fear, we know that Jesus experienced it too. He has been where we are. He has walked that path. And not only are we not alone in it, but we actually have hope while we're walking through it. Because Jesus did, he cleared the path so that not only is he there with us when we're walking through it, but we have hope because when he walked through it, he rose again victoriously. He gives us hope that one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make everything new, including our minds, including the struggles we deal with with our mental health, whether that's anxiety or depression or anything else. We know we have hope that one day when Jesus comes back to make everything right, we will not face those things anymore. So when we are anxious in the present, right now, we can look at the past, we can look at the ways that Jesus has already walked through this, we can know that he is with us, and then we can also look to the future and have hope that one day this struggle will be done. And as I think about the psalm, it's not that David never feared, Right? If you read other psalms, you can see that David was afraid. He openly admits that in many of his psalms. But it's not that he, he never fears, but it's that he has a greater fear of God. He has a fear, a fear, an awe, a reverence of worship of God and what he has already done. And that is bigger than his fear of evil or the fears and anxieties that he faces. The fact that the Lord is his shepherd, it acts as an anchor. It holds him in the ups and the downs and all of the in-betweens of dealing with these fears or the different shadows of the valley of death that we walk through. And it holds him into worship of fear of the Lord instead of letting him spin out into anxiety or fear of evil. So again, it's not that we'll never have anxious thoughts enter our head. If we just believe these things, then we'll never feel anxious ever again. I wish it worked that way. I really do. But it's not that we'll never have that, but it's that we have fear of God above all else. So while we are facing fear or anxiety over our current circumstances or situations, we can know that we fear the Lord. We worship God and we worship what Jesus has done as he walked through crucifixion and resurrection. And we can fear God above all of our anxious things. And I recognize that for some, anxiety goes much deeper than just stress or worry. 
It can be caused by grief or trauma or other mental health conditions that go along with it, like depression. And it's not always easy to deal with. I recognize that. Faith isn't always magically fixing anxiety, uh, but it does give us an anchor to hold on to as we go through the ups and the downs. With all of that, with knowing that, just knowing that the Lord is our shepherd isn't going to fix everything, I want to shift to the practical. I want to talk about some of the ways that we can apply wisdom to our experiences of anxiety. And if you were here with us at the beginning of the series, we talked about how wisdom is actually woven through all of creation. It's like woven into how we were created, how the earth was created, so that we can understand it and it, we can use it in our daily lives. And so I want to talk about ways that we can use wisdom, the wisdom that God has woven into our creation, in the areas of body, mind, spirit, and soul. So I'm going to start with, with body. Let's start there. So... God gave us this body, right? And so it is something that we can honor him by taking care of it. And this stuff I'm going to say, it's going to be common sense type of wisdom. You're going to be like, yeah, Julie, duh. (laughs) I know these things. I've heard them before. But I think it's especially important for us, especially right now as all of our routines are changing, life is in a totally different place than it has been the past year, to reevaluate some of the common sense wisdom that goes along with taking care of our body. Because our bodies are connected to our minds. It's not just, they're not separate things. It's not like we can say, oh, I'm just going to work on my anxiety in my head and not have anything to do with my body. So I've heard counselors say that oftentimes when someone comes to them with problems of anxiety, they ask a couple of questions first just to kind of get a sense for where people are at. And these three things, one of them is, are you getting enough sleep? Basic things, right? But I know sleep can sometimes be hard with anxiety. So there are things that uh, my doctor calls sleep hygiene, which I think is a funny phrase, Uh, but things like the idea of going to bed around the same time every day, making sure your room is dark enough or cool enough, not scrolling on your phone for endless hours before you sleep, right? Put your phone away so that you can get your mind ready to take some rest. Second question they often ask is, are you exercising? The Mayo Clinic says that 10 to 15 minutes, that's all, so I'm not telling you you have to start like a crazy exercise program, get ready to run a marathon. I'm not saying that. It says 10 to 15 minutes of exercise a day may help with anxiety and depression. The last thing that they often ask is about nutrition, right? Are you eating three meals a day? Sometimes anxiety makes us forget to eat or makes us so stressed that eating can be difficult. And what are you eating, right? Are you eating fruits and vegetables ever, or is it all, you know, fast food or or things like that? And I know that some of these things, if you are experiencing anxiety, it can be really difficult to get into a pattern where you can do those things. And sometimes it is almost feels impossible. And that's okay, because sometimes we need help getting to a place where we can actually start to create these routines and these habits. And when I say we need help, sometimes that means medication for anxiety. And I know that this is a subject that historically in the church has had some stigma around it. And so I just want to say that we think that that's a a good thing if you are at a place where that's something that a doctor recommends for you. It can really be the, like, jumpstart you need to get into some of these other routines and habits to be able to start taking care of your body, your mind, soul, and spirit. So 
I always, when I talk with people, if they're, if they're hesitant about taking medication, I just like to remind people, you know, if someone had a physical condition, right, I have chronic illness, I take medication for my chronic illness every day. And no one, I think, would tell me, hopefully, that no, you shouldn't do that. You can't take medication, even though it's something that helps your body function. And I would say it's the same with mental health, right? If there's, a thing, if there's medication that's going to help you function, then that is something that we would encourage you to do. The thing with this is, though, is that medication is not a silver bullet. None of the things I'm going to talk about today actually are silver bullets. Again, I wish that there was one, but there really isn't. So as you, if medication is something that your doctor recommends for you, we encourage you not to just get, stay there and say, okay, I'm done, I can move on. I don't need to worry about anxiety anymore. Because they found that the best results actually come when you're also taking care of these other things, when you're also working through the things that are making you anxious, talking with people about it, whether that's a counselor or a pastor or a friend, when you're creating good routines and habits that are gonna help that anxiety medication work the best for you. All right, so again, things you probably know, common sense, maybe all of you are like, yeah, duh, medication's a great thing. But I just know it's something that can be skipped over in church sometimes and wanted to make that point uh, clear to everyone. Okay, the second thing is our minds, right? So what you think about, what takes up the most space in your head in your day-to-day -day life really does matter. It impacts us probably more than we would ever even realize. And especially when we think about, how do we think about God, right? Do we think of him as our good shepherd? Do we think that we need a shepherd in our lives? And intellectually, I think we can all say, yeah, of course, I know all of these things, and I'm aware of what I think about. But I don't think we actually realize how often we, think we recognize that we feel something, and then we just, like, push it aside and move on. Right? Culture says, like, ditch the, the bad vibes, just move on, don't let those things weigh you down. But the truth is we need to take time to process what we feel and to acknowledge it and work through it. Joel and I have started watching Friends recently, the TV show. I feel like it's a safe reference to make these days because if you were watching it when it came out, uh, you will know what I'm talking about. But also if you are uh, Gen Z, apparently the 90s are like really cool again. So I feel like a lot of people are watching Friends for that reason. Joel's never seen it, so I'm taking him through it. Uh, but one of the things I've noticed, we're in the very beginning seasons, is because it's older and they don't have cell phones and laptops, when someone, a character, is like feeling a really big feeling, uh, whether they're really sad because of a breakup or they're really stressed or they're confused or whatever, there are often shots of them just sitting somewhere staring into the distance, <laughs> right? And I, like, it kind of shocked me at first when I first saw it because I was like, we never do that anymore, right? We never sit and just think. If there's a moment, a pause, you know, if you're waiting for something or whatever, we pull out our phones, right? Or if we don't have anything to do, we pull out Netflix and watch something or whatever. And those things aren't bad, but it's, I think, gotten to a point now where we just never take the time to actually process what we feel or what we experience. We need to be able to sit with our feelings. We need to be able to acknowledge them. And one helpful tool that I've found in doing this uh, is called the five whys. And it's actually something that an um, industrial engineer and businessman named Taichi Ono came up with. And he is like a really big deal if you know anything about car production, 
which I admittedly don't. But he is the, um, he's thought to be the founder of the Toyota production system. So his method, this five wise thing, is something that he used to help get to the problem of whatever was happening in producing the car, right? So if the car had something go wrong down the line, he would do this process of asking five whys to figure out what caused this car to malfunction or to have some kind of issue. So I'll give you an example. I will admit I took this off of the internet because I don't know enough about cars to come up with one on my own. But uh, let's say the problem is that the vehicle will not start, right? So we ask, why? The first why. Well, the battery is dead. Okay, well, why is the battery dead? The alternator is not functioning. Okay, why is that not working? The alternator belt has broken. Okay, why did it break? The alternator belt was well beyond its useful service life and not replaced. Okay, well, why did that happen? Well, the vehicle was not maintained according to the recommended service schedule, and that gives us our root cause, right? That tells us why did the car not start? It wasn't just that we didn't say, oh, the car doesn't start, let's just move on and sell it, I don't know, buy a new car, whatever. We actually work through what led to getting to that point. And I think we need to sometimes do this with ourselves to figure out what are, is causing these feelings, these anxious feelings that we often are like, I feel anxious, I'm just going to distract myself, right? I'm going to numb that feeling away and I'm not going to deal with it. But instead, we can ask ourselves why. We can work through these five whys to get to the bottom of what we feel. So I put together an example. I don't know if this will resonate with you or not, but uh, I think sometimes we say, okay, I feel anxious. That's the problem. Say, okay, why do you feel anxious? Well, I have this really big decision to make, whether it's about work or family or whatever it is. You say, okay, well, why, why does that make you feel anxious? Well, because I don't know what the right answer is. I want to make sure I'm choosing the right answer in this decision I have to make, and I don't know what that is. You say, okay, well, why does that make you feel anxious? Because I'm afraid I'm going to make the wrong decision. I think we get a lot of fear around making, you know, we have so many options now. It's like everything. It's like, how do I make the right decision in these things? So then, again, ask yourself why. Well, because I don't want to screw things up. What if I make the wrong decision and I regret it and it's the wrong thing and I, it's just, you know, screws everything up in my life? Okay, well, why does that make you feel so anxious? And I think this can get at the bottom of it. And honestly, I think for every single person, you might have the same thing and the bottom answer might be different. But maybe it's something like, well, I'm in, in control of my life. I believe I'm in control of my life. And if I make the wrong decision, uh, then I'm going to end up with an unhappy life or I'm going to end up in this really bad place. So then we look at that and say, okay, you know, where's the truth in that? Where are things that are maybe not so true, right? We're not completely in control of our lives. One decision isn't going to change the whole course of our lives, most likely. Um, and God is involved in all of these things, too. And I'll be honest with you, this doesn't work every time. And sometimes you need people to help you process through these things, whether, again, whether that's a friend or a pastor or a counselor, someone who can help you kind of ask those whys to get down to what is the cause of my anxiety. And sometimes the cause of your anxiety might be something that you actually can't change, right? In the last year, I'm going to guess a lot of us felt anxious at different times because we were in the global pandemic, Okay, I can't change that. If that's the root cause, there's not a whole lot I can do about that. But sometimes it just helps us get to the bottom of, why do I feel this way? 
And then what can I do? Can I pray about it? Can I bring this thing to God? Can I talk about it with my community? Are there steps that I can take that I didn't realize I needed to take because I didn't know that that's what was causing my anxiety? And I think this all kind of leads into the, the next one, uh, which is spirit. So we're going to talk a little bit about how our faith and how our spirit kind of plays into how we deal with anxiety. And I think a huge piece of this is just that we need to actually spend time with God. Again, right, I just said we need to spend time processing our feelings. We also need to spend time processing them with the Lord. And I think when it comes to spending time with Jesus, looking at how Jesus did this, what his life looked like, is a very great place to start. He gives us in his life a pattern of uh, retreat and return, So he often took time away from what he was doing to go talk with the Father and to spend time in prayer or to even sometimes take a nap. And then after that, he would return and go back to his ministry, go back to caring for people and to doing the work uh, that he had. And we follow a similar model, right? We retreat to spend time with Jesus, and then we return to reflect his image, to, to be an image bearer in the world, wherever we are, whatever we do with our days. And when it comes to retreating, I think there's kind of two extremes to watch out for here when we talk about rest. And one is that rest is not selfish. So some of us, if it's difficult for you to take time to rest, sometimes it's because you feel like, oh no, I'm being selfish if I take time for myself. I need to continue to pour out and to be with all these other people. But that's not how we were created, right? Remember I talked about wisdom being woven into even the very way that we were created? And that wisdom in our, the way we were created is that we need to rest. We are not God. We cannot, uh, you know, take care of everything. We need to take time to retreat, to spend time with him, right? Follow Jesus's pattern. Jesus took naps, okay? So you can take a nap. It's okay for you to do that uh, for yourself. And then on the other hand, I think the other big extreme that we run into is that rest should not be selfish, Right? Rest should be restorative. I think sometimes we've confused leisure for rest, where we think, okay, my rest time, my retreating time is just all about me. It's about what I want to do. It's about um, just, you know, whatever that is for you. Or maybe it's like doing nothing. Maybe you think rest is just I need to not do anything. But then we end up doing things like, like I said, scrolling through our phones or watching Netflix or whatever. And when we're done feels like, how am I still tired? Has anybody ever experienced that? It's not actually a rest that's restorative. Rest doesn't just mean doing whatever you want to do. It means doing things that are going to fill you up, right? Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with community. Do things that are restorative to you, things that make you feel energized after you are done doing it. Take care of your body. Take care of your mind. Take time to process your emotions. All of that stuff falls under rest and how we should think about that. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, you think, well, all of those things, they actually take effort to make happen, right? If I want to hang out with people, I have to plan it. If I want to, like, take time to process my feelings, sometimes that doesn't feel fun. That's not restful. I don't want to do that. But that's the thing, is that wisdom is, is says that we have to retreat so that we can return. And if we're just retreating to do whatever we want to do, we're not going to feel filled up in order to go back and to follow Jesus' model of returning to caring for others and doing our work. And that 
some of these ideas, some of the things you can do in, in your rest time, uh, kind of fits into this last thing, which I, I called soul. And I kind of was thinking of it in terms of like, you know, when people say, oh, it's just good for my soul, right? Because spending time in community is one of those things that I think fills us up and is good for our soul as we think about it. So again, wisdom woven into the way that we were created, we were created to live in community, right? We were not meant to live independently. Adam and Eve, in the very beginning in creation, God says it's not good for man to live alone. And then throughout all of the Old Testament, all of the people of God are gathered into this group of people, and they do it together. They worship God and follow God together. And then in the New Testament, we get the church, right? We are organized around community. We are built to live lives with other people. So as you kind of come out of this pandemic life into this new semi-pandemic life, whatever we want to call this in-between time, uh, and you're thinking about what do I add back to my schedule, how do I organize my routine and my life, please do not cut out community. Please do not cut out that time with people. And I don't just mean hanging out with your best friend, right? That's great. I want you to keep doing that too. But we were meant to live in community together. We are meant to be worship God and to be together in church. We're meant to be gathered around God with other believers. And not only does that matter that we actually show up physically, that you make time in your calendar to be around other people, but we also have to show up emotionally. Uh, and Joel talked a few weeks back about emotional availability and I think as a culture, we sometimes are like good at what I would call fake vulnerability. Things like saying, like, you know, after you've been through something really difficult, you might after then say, you know, oh, here are all the ways God worked, here are the struggles I faced, and here's what happened. You know, maybe you write a nice Instagram post about it or whatever. But it's showing it after the fact. There's not a whole lot of, there is still vulnerability there, but it's not the same type of vulnerability that it takes to share when you're in the middle of the struggle. I also think we're good at being vague, right? When someone asks you how you're doing and they really want to know, we often say things like, oh, well, you know, it's just been a busy week, or I'm just really tired, or, you know, something like that, something that's pretty vague. Maybe it hints at, like, yeah, this week was hard, but it doesn't actually say, here's what I'm dealing with. Can I talk with you about this? Let's work through these things together. The other thing I think we do is that we often tell part of the story, right? And I'll be honest, I'm so thankful that Resurrection City, I think we do a great job at community. I think it's one of our biggest strengths as a church, honestly, is this excitement and this desire to be in community, to live with lives with one another, and to be there for each other. But sometimes I wonder, when we get good at something, we sort of get a little bit complacent in it, or it gets like... You know, I think when it comes to vulnerability, that might look like, yeah, I'll share this, this part of my life, but I'm not going to share that thing over there. Or I'm going to tell part of the story, but I'm going to stop short a little bit, and I'm not going to share the part that's like kind of scary for me to say out loud. And uh, I've been reading a book that kind of deals with anxiety from a Christian perspective by a woman named Jenny Allen, and she talks about how at her church, they have a saying that they talk about saying the last 2%. And the idea is just that, right, like when we tell, us, tell people about what's going on with us, making sure we lay it all out on the table, right? We lay down all of our cards, even the things that are hard to say or scary to say, right? Whether that's something that's like, 
you know, I got really angry at my kids, and that, like, that anger scared me. It was big, right? Something like that that we're, we don't really want to admit because it feels really scary to say out loud to other people. But that's that last 2%. That's what we need to lay down. We need to be vulnerable with people in community. Or maybe for you, the last 2% is actually about mental health. Maybe your struggle with anxiety or depression or whatever you're dealing with goes deeper than you've maybe let on to your community. Maybe you're, you know, you're considering things or there's things going on in your life that you haven't quite shared. And I just love that idea of encouraging people to say the last 2%, to be fully vulnerable, fully present with our community so that we can grow together. And because community is so important, um, and especially when it comes to this top of, topic of anxiety, we're actually going to do a little book club around that book by Jenny Allen. It's called Get Out of Your Head, uh, and we're going to just meet three times throughout the summer, so probably once or twice in July and then another time in August or vice versa. So if you're interested in doing that, if you're interested in joining, I'd encourage you, you can sign up online uh, at redstatechurch.org slash events. Or you can just come talk to me and we can, we can get that figured out. It is a book that's written by a woman from a woman's perspective, but I would encourage you men as well that it is something that you're still going to get a lot of value out of. And if you're thinking, no, I don't want to read a book that's like, you know, written for women or whatever, I'm just going to tell you, us women have been doing the opposite for years. <laughs> many, many books in the Christian tradition are written by men, and we have been reading them, and we've been just fine. So I'm just going to encourage you guys, if, you're, if you want to talk about this, I would highly encourage you to join the book club. Um, there's, it's got a lot of great stuff to say in the book. Okay, and lastly, as we kind of wrap things up, as we think about this, I just want to say, if you need motivation uh, to take steps in these areas of wisdom, or if you're fighting against anxiety, or maybe you've just gotten comfortable with it, you're like, yeah, I'm dealing with anxiety, but it's fine, I'm fine. I just want to say, remind you that fighting against anxiety isn't just about feeling better for yourself, but it's also about loving others. The last, uh, or verse 3 of Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right? God calls us to love him and to love others. That's the mission. That's why we're here. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings so that we can do the model of retreat and returns. So we can love other people and love God. And when we deal with anxiety, if we're being honest, it can really kind of turn us inwards. It can make us really focused and preoccupied on things that are going on in our lives and the things we're dealing with in our head. And I think it can be helpful uh, because we're not meant to live that way. And so it can be a helpful reminder sometimes that we are meant to live outwardly and to work through that anxiety so that we can be uh, on mission with God, that we can continue to love him and to love others. And I'm not saying that any of the things we talked about, again, I'll say it again because I've said it a bunch of times, none of these things are going to magically fix your anxiety. But it's worth taking steps in fighting against it. And you don't have to be perfect or completely non-anxious in order to love God and to love others, right? A lot of us deal with anxiety. I just tend to be more of an anxious person. I think some of us just have that tendency. And we can still do that. Uh, but I think we need to be aware of it. We can't just push the anxiety aside. We can't just say, I don't want to deal with that. We need to process through it, to talk with others about it, so that we can move and continue to bear God's image and to love God and to love others around us. 
And honestly, we're going to sing a song uh, after this as we move into a time of worship, and it's called Promises. It's a new song for us. We haven't sang it before as a church, but it's one of my favorites. And there's a part in the lyrics that says, I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. And that's where we start. No matter where you are in your journey with anxiety or mental health, Jesus is our shepherd. He is our anchor. That's the Psalm 23 mindset, saying, Jesus, you're my shepherd. I lack nothing when I have you. I can hold on to you through all the ups and the downs of anxiety. No matter where I am and when I'm riding those waves, I know that Jesus is my anchor and he is my hope. And we're going to take communion while we sing. And communion is our physical reminder that Jesus has been through that valley. He has been through it. He knows what it's like. He's walked it. He is with us in that struggle. And not only is he with us, but he has given us hope for a future when we will no longer have to deal with mental health and anxiety. So when we take communion, I encourage you to pause and take a second to remember that Jesus has broken his body and shed his blood on our behalf so that we can walk through that valley of the shadow of death with no fear of evil, because we know that he is with us and he is our shepherd. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much that you are our good shepherd, that we can know you, that we can hear your voice, that we can follow you no matter what we're going through. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us the courage to take the steps that we need to as we fight against anxiety that you would help us to have peace, that you would give us trust, that you would heal our anxious hearts, our anxious minds. Lord, we know that you are with us, and we just pray that you would give us those reminders every single day that we could trust in you uh, no matter where we are in this journey. In your name we pray. Amen.